When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We have the pleasant task tonight of talking about the defense from that big win over the Bengals last night. And uh, what a win it was. Here to talk about it with me is Jordan Coe at the Situation Room. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, you're out there in Las Vegas, lo- loving life, and uh, won a couple of bucks on the game last night, I am told. That's right. It took the had the under for the Bengals in the game and the Ravens. So, you know, fitting for uh, keeping an eye on what we needed to watch for for defense. And uh, those guys came through last night. Uh, what was the under about 23, 21 and a half, 21 and a half. Hmm. OK, very good. Uh, so a little I'll closer than I would have liked. <laughs> yeah, but you're probably feeling very good about it as they drove slowly down the field for that last touchdown even. Yeah. All right. Uh, That's right. <laughs> huge divisional race uh, win. We we always see that meme with Thanos, right? I think it's Thanos is the is the character who says, you know, what did it cost? Everything, you know, kind of thing. Uh, losing Mark Andrews, obviously a very big loss in this game. Yeah, Andrews was, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do to replace him. They have not seemed to want to use likely before this, you know, like he just like in terms of the rotation and usage, he wasn't there. But, you know, he's a talented guy. Kolar, you know, for the packages that you wanted to get what you wanted from likely is there. So it hurts because his chemistry with Lamar and it makes you a little bit worried about some of these big moments where you need big plays. Andrews and Jackson have done it together um but there are a lot of tools in the toolbox for this ravens offense and so um you know and what we're hearing that it's not official official that andrews has done for the year you know i think he's done for the regular season but he's going to see a doctor and there's a chance you know i think i think it's really a question of how fast that that fractured fibula can recover and whether it's playable or not um but they haven't completely you know, initially the, the word out was he's done for the year now it's he's probably done for the year but he's going to see a doctor and we're going to take a look well, I hope for a second opinion. And if it can be if it can be healed in eight to ten weeks, that would be great just for making sure it's not lingering into two thousand twenty four at the least. Right. But uh but I'm not I'm not optimistic. I think we've heard this before with Lamar, for example, last year and, and the year before probably also in terms of hey, he could be back in the playoffs at some point. And, uh, well, this one is a little different in the sense that it's not performative, right? So Lamar's injury prevented Lamar from being effective in his role, right? I think when you're talking about a fractured bone, it's really just does the bone have the integrity to be able to play through it? But if Andrew's ankle sprain, which even if it's a, a bad high ankle sprain, in theory should be recovered in 10 weeks, then it's, this this one's more of a do you feel comfortable on it and have doctors said it's safe if you're playing on it? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Lamar, it's like, well, his knee is that legitimately hurt. <laughs> and, and and are you okay with 60% of Lamar versus 100% of Huntley? I think this is one of those where if he's cleared to play, you're going to get 100% of Andrews. It's just maybe it's impossible for him to be cleared. I'm not a doctor, so I'm just repeating what I've read on the internet. So please, pain, nobody take it as anything more than that. Pain management. I would like any doctor out there, if you'd like to like to hit me up on Twitter with this, Tell me if Andrew's status as a type one di- diabetic affects healing time at all for him. I'd be very interested to know that. Um, if uh, if folks out there know that, 
Anyway, big big blow to the Bengals' playoff hopes. Obviously, the second week in a row that the Ravens KO a divisional quarterback. Um, not looking for that to happen. I got to say these are these are awful injuries. The Ravens got a dose of it with Andrews. They almost seem to get a dose of it with Lamar on the sidelines. Same kind of tackle. Uh, we're hearing twenty five hundred. This is a, a guy Miller from I don't know if he's an NFLPA guy or a, or an NFL guy, but. 2,500% as a higher chance of injury with these hip drop tackles than with others. And something they really would like to get out of the game if they can. Oh, uh, just to be clear, these tackles are dirty. Like the, the, the way the Bengals were tackling and then twisting and then falling on Ravens players, lower legs in that process is just straight up dirty. Um, and, and the, you know, and, yeah, I, there's not anything, in my opinion, there's nothing more to say about it. They were literally trying to ankle tackle and then fall on the ankles of the players. You saw what it did to Andrews. You saw what it did to Lamar. It's clearly being coached. There's no place mm-hmm. for it. In my the Ravens don't tackle like that. They're, the Browns don't tackle like that, and they're ferociously physical. Um, yeah. In my opinion, there's no place for that kind of stuff in the game. You saw the – you saw – similar kind of thing from Simmons down in Tennessee in that game where he dove at the legs of what was it Beckham or flowers or one of the wide receivers or or no Beckham came to the defense of somebody. But anyway, Mm -hmm. when you have these guys diving and going at the lower legs of people and trying to take advantage of it, you know, we've seen Bengals players roll around on the ground around Ravens players too. I mean, I don't know. I just, I just don't think that there's a place for it in the game. All right. Well, hopefully, Hopefully they do something about that in the rules, but it's got it's got to to have that in the rules. It can't just be a fifteen yard penalty. The thing's got to have real teeth to it, including suspensions, you know, lost pay. Uh, you know, eventually, if it's really a matter of coaching, it's got to involve lost draft picks. Uh, there's no other there's no other solution for that. And frankly, you know, when you when you take out somebody's best player, it should cost you draft picks if you don't do it cleanly. You know, it's it should be the kind of thing that does that. I don't think there's anything dirty about what the Ravens did with um, uh, with with Burrow. There, th- that claim is being made, by the way, today. But I don't I don't believe there's anything dirty about it. Um, you know, it, all it takes is one person, and then there's this kind of pile on mentality. If you go to a you know Bengals message board or whatever to to, to hear that, and then hear yeah yeah it was dirty it was dirty it was dirty it was dirty, and then somebody else says oh it was clean. And then they they get abuse for it. <laughs> well, the, even even on the Burrow injury, it was almost as though the main kind of like the main fulcrum or air like weight area went down on his non throwing arm anyway, and his kind of throwing arm kind of got rolled up underneath that. Yeah. But it wasn't even like the main target. It wasn't like they you know I could see it if it was one of those things where. And I thought that the Ravens would have an approach where they were going to be really physical with Jamar Chase. And, you know, if there were opportunities to hit him in the back, they were going to take it, right? Like, it wasn't like it was like one of those kind of things. It wasn't even on the injury report in the first place that, you know, that his throwing wrist was was damaged, which apparently it was. So for me, in in those kind of pieces, I, you know, I, I see them as very different things. Okay. But I'm I'm not biased at all. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, we, or it's a other interesting thing. Obviously, with the divisional injuries, the name Joe Flacco has risen yet again in this Lazarus-like way. And uh, reportedly, the Browns were looking at quarterbacks today, uh, and Flacco was in for a uh, – it might be tomorrow, actually. This is scheduled to occur. I think it was today. Um, was was scheduled to be in for a uh, a, a workout. Uh, and that may occur, honestly, with the Bengals as well. A Burrow's now out for the season. I don't think the Bengals have figured out what they're doing. Uh, a lot of the good opportunities around the league are gone, with one exception, and that is Tannehill really trying to get released by the Titans and uh, see if he can find his new spot. Uh, I, I don't think I'd do it. I'd try to, especially if I tried to trade Tannehill. I don't, I don't think I'd do it. And, they, and if you're if you're gonna do it. It would have to be something where Tannehill waves his salary for the remainder of the season in order to be waived, which it, that maybe that makes sense for them, or you know maybe it makes sense for them to just hold on and um, and and ride it out as is. Though I'm not sure about that. There there have been certainly a fair number of instances in recent years where players like Terrell Suggs have been released at the end of their careers to seek a championship, 
um, in, in their golden years, uh, when coming back from an injury or when, they, when they've lost their starting job or even just when the team is playing very poorly. Yeah, it'll be – I think the cap situation for Tannehill is interesting. I think a guy like Flacco, it's kind of surprising that he hadn't made his way back to the Jets. But, you know, you got a, a team more like Cleveland and a team more like New York where a game manager like Joe Flacco is successful at oh, yeah. should be a guy that people should be taking a look at. There, there's no – you know, Tannehill is very much can be an effective game manager too. And so, yeah, they should be exploring that. Yeah, you bring up a good point by Tannehill, and I, I, I kind of forgotten because there was a fair, fairly significant cap hit that they would have to eat right now. So, yeah, they have they have ninety nine point two million in prorated bonus they need to eat immediately, as opposed to at the end of the year, which really means they'd go into twenty four. Um, so they they I don't know if the Titans can do that right now. They probably can if they move around some money. Maybe it doesn't matter to them in terms of of when they take that, but uh, it's not a nothing, you know, for the Tannehill is asking for in terms of uh, of, of what he wants them to eat. Uh, let's see what else we got. Joe Flacco, you know, definitely game manager. I would agree. Um, do you want him to come back with either of those teams? I no. personally don't. Yeah. No, that would be tragic. Yeah. Like if they, I, oh yeah, I didn't even want to. I didn't want him playing with any other team in the first place. You know, if he would play for the veteran minimum, like honestly, and I was Baltimore, I'd bring him back to be the backup here over Huntley. Um, you know, I, I think that you have a more competent team from a competitive standpoint with Flacco in there than you do with Huntley these days. J- Josh Johnson, like I don't know if Flacco wants to play for that little, but. If he's going to play anywhere, it should be in Baltimore. Oh, it, it'll wherever he plays, going to be for the vet minimum. But I, I bet he would want to come back to play for Baltimore and be the yeah. caddy to Jackson. What? I bet, I bet that'd be his choice. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We, we hear every time there's an injury on Thursday night football. One of the things we hear is the notion that Thursday night football needs to be eliminated. I honestly don't believe either of these, you know, the things that happened directly related to Thursday night football. Now, the 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 one that might have would be Burrow's injury, that there was already something there. Obviously, you know, the Bengals may have broken the rules not to disclose that something was going on. I I don't know if he was on the injury report or not, but they're supposed to do that. It wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, well, they they're being investigated for it. Though apparently this happens often. So like teams often leave people off injury reports and the NFL regularly investigates it anytime it happens. So this is not like to, to make it a thing of, oh, the NFL is especially looking into Burrow and the situation here in Cincinnati. I don't think that it's that standard. Okay. All right. So, so it happens a fair amount. Okay. Now I was not aware of that actually. And, and uh, it's the kind of thing that that is, that is one that is Thursday night related. If you have others that are coming back on a short week with a tweak or this or that, or other people can't play because it's a short week, those are good reasons to do it. You know, the NFL is about the money. The the Thursday night game adds a ton of money. And by the way, the players are about the money too. So cut the bullshit that it's this is about protecting the players. The players benefit from this. You know, they benefit from Thursday night football with a with a larger total pool of dollars to be distributed among them. And I don't know how what percentage larger it is, but it's enough that the that the players' union agrees <laughs> having Thursday night football as 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 part of what's going on and. Um, it's a, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the game. So let's not pretend like the players had no part in this decision at some, some point in the past. What I have found to be really bothersome is the notion of flexing a Thursday night game. I just, I think it would be reprehensible during the year to, to, to change it around where all teams are getting one normally, and they kind of have the understanding of what's going on. And then you might put them in a position where they get two instead, uh, and somebody else gets zero. I still don't understand why Thursday night football is only played by teams coming off a bye. Like this is an immensely solvable problem by the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like literally have the teams coming off their bye play each other on you're eliminating two things at the same time here. You're eliminating the lack of competitive nature of teams off a bye playing teams not off a bye and you're eliminating the, the short rest weeks. It I, I it's just it's mind-boggling to me. Well, it's not quite as simple to solve as the um, everybody coming off a bye 
plays a divisional opponent and you, you don't have anybody paying, playing more than one team coming off a buy. So they share their bye weeks kind of thing. You could do that yeah. very easily. That does not take a master of set theory. Once you get to, get to um, uh, wanting to have somebody always coming off a buy, then you eliminate, you have to either add bye weeks all through the season, one through 18, which I don't think anybody really wants. I think people want them in the compressed middle area, or you have to maybe double up on Thursday games in the middle of the year which might not be bad anyway. You would you would decrease the, the, the total number of dates on which you play Thursday, or you could have some Fridays in there or maybe a Wednesday night game because it gives you that flexibility. You could have Wednesday night football if you're coming off buys. We certainly felt a degree of fear at the stadium. We saw Lamar being kind of picked up off the sideline and gingerly walking to the bench that, that this was going to be another. Apparently, same kind of tackle uh, and, uh, and, and frustrating. Uh, but maybe we move on from the injuries now and just talk about how they uh, they kicked the crap out of Jamar Chase in this game. Yeah, I mean, the Ravens, when they need to, can have game plans to stop individual players and do so really effectively. It was really nice to see them be able to do that without Marlon Humphrey. That being said, they did it earlier in this year without Marlon Humphrey. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, from some kind of perspective, the Ravens have figured out what the, I think kind of what the progressions look like for Cincinnati and how to force Burrow off of some of those project, uh, some, of, some of those kind of the iterations that he's going through and what he's looking through, looking at. And they, they gave up some plays over the middle and that's the trade-off, right? Like if you're going to get him to look off Jamar Chase 25 yards down the field, then sometimes you're going to have a 10 to 15 yard pass to, some random no-name slot receiver or some random no-name tight end, and you live with it. And the Ravens did, and it was an effective game plan. Yeah, it certainly was effective in terms of any any reasonable measure. If you look at yards per play and whatnot, the uh, Ravens have been amazing this year. We're going to get to that a little bit later. I thought one of the interesting things about how they shut down Chase was it, it, Stevens probably lined up a, opposite him the most times, so he deserves the biggest share of this. Um, they held him to only two two um, two catches on seven targets. The two catches are the second lowest total of his career. Twelve yards, the second lowest total of his career. He had three yards in his rookie year on one catch versus Denver. That's the only time he's been lower in in either one of those those two statistics. And um, it really and one wasn't, of them wasn't even one of them wasn't even a really a wide receiver route. One of them was that little Flat end route. around yeah where they like quick pitched it like our oh you're pass right thing. yeah you're, so it was only one downfield pass that he completed i you know i was, try, I was trying to figure out where that 10-yard pass was and i'm going uh, you know back and forth through my notes trying to figure out where that was okay that's great i, I <laughs> Dave, Dave and i had an extensive debate over whether or not we yeah. thought it was a rush or you know whether it was ultimately a reception or a run because it was one of those ones where he like kind of snapped it and like quick quick pushed it right forwards uh-huh. to chase. Um, but yeah, so uh, I mean, downfield, they had a great plan. So it was a little bit of everybody. Darby had an incredible push out of bounds on him. Uh, they had, uh, let's see, I, I do want to get this because everybody had one. Hamilton stripped him once. We had um, Geno Stone on the, on the fourth play of the game came up and made him alligator arm that wide receiver screen pass. And that, that was a beautiful play, I thought, from Stone in the, in the early in the game. And then Brandon Stevens on two occasions had him step for step downfield. And both times the balls got overthrown. That's something Brandon Stevens has been very good at this year. Boundary corner really herds that receiver towards the boundary and holds him up there. But one was 10 yards down the field. Uh, and that it might have been a little bit more uh, not right on the boundary. And the other one was 32 yards down the field. That was more um, there. I, I Just a very a group effort to shut him down. But also, I don't know. I did not see the Ravens following in this game where Stevens was switching side to side. Now, if they, the, 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 we, the, the reason this is sometimes tricky is because when your opponent puts both receivers on the same side, then your both your corners go over there. But then you're really looking for exceptions where they switch sides, and all of a sudden you've got Darby at right corner and um, Stevens at left corner. And I don't think they did that, but I might have missed one one or two cases where they did. 
Yeah, no, oh, right. I, I mean, it's a kitchen sink approach. It's been like that all year. You know, we've seen that with Stevens. We've seen it with, you know, Darby, with um, Yasin, with Humphrey. I mean, they, they're doing a good job keeping those guys healthy. And they're doing a great job. You know, I think it's a little bit, a lot of the attention has been on the front seven and the confusing packages that the Ravens have been mm-hmm. able to be deceptive on the front end. But I think the Ravens have been equally deceptive on the back end in kind of what the matchups are moving guys around, not letting them isolate and single out different guys, different situations. Um, and that's been effective. I think that that all those things add up to help the team. Uh, Jordan, I'm going to ask you to turn off your video since I'm getting some lag from you right now. Sorry for that production note, guys. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, for, first of all, I completely agree with you. Uh, in, in terms of what you're saying, the Ravens have been have been very deceptive in terms of how they roll out of a cover two look usually to start the play. Very rarely do they have their safeties up at the line of scrimmage. They do it a little bit when they're in base and they're trying to protect against the run, or when they play the Titans and they're you know that's the main consideration is how you're going to stop the run. But they don't do it typically, and and they they typically rotate out of that. They play matchup zone. Um, they may just play quarters straight up. Uh, on a lot of uh, a lot of times when they're too when they're too deep, but they usually start in that too deep and they and they and they roll out of that in in some direction. Sometimes they you know and we saw this last night. Uh, they had Hamilton rushing off the slot on the wide receiver screen to chase, and Stone knew exactly when to uh, release, come up and uh, put the fear of of the hit in chase and uh, and have him short arm that ball a little bit. All right. I hope you're still there. You still still with us, Jordan? I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still here. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, uh, what else? I think we I think we went through all the all the guys who who pretty much did a little bit uh, something on Chase. The secondary shuffled again. Mallette very effective in this game um, in terms of being in the slot and uh, and getting some things done. They were only one, they had two and a half yards per play when he was in there on pass plays. So 30, 30 yards on twelve pass plays while they were in this. Uh, uh, standard nickel formation, which is the one that Mallette plays in. And then they played the rest of them. They played big nickel. And that's the one, of course, where where Humphrey, uh, sorry, um, Hamilton is up front and Stone is in on the back end. That was also effective. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think my one big picture kind of takeaway from what the Ravens defense has done over the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, it seems like they've really started to dial back some of some of the really kind of deceptive, like, you know, unbalanced, you know, this guy coming from this place. I think they're trying to maybe one, you know, see what they have in coverage from guys like queen. I mean, I think we've seen queen kind of take a little bit of an overall step back. Yes. I think that's just because they're let uh, also it's because they're putting him in situations that he's not best at. Right. I think they're doing that on purpose. Um, and I think that they are, I think there's a little bit of gamemanship going on right now with the Ravens to put things on film that they want teams to try and attack and things that they're going to see. And then when these games, you know, in the more critical games, and they've got some big AFC critical games, right? The Miami game, right? And and non-divisional teams too, right? I think that's also a part of it. But the Miami game and the Jacksonville, Jacksonville. game will be the two, right, that you'd circle. They, I, I think once we get to those points and we get to the playoffs, you're going to see them get back to some of that creativity and, and all of kind of the mad scientist stuff. And right now they're trying to force teams to approach it. Like they're not always going to be doing that. They don't want to give away all those packages. They don't want to put it all on tape and they don't want to all do that. And I think they're just, they're biding their time a little bit. And I think we've seen both in Cleveland and the Cincinnati games, a little bit of regression from the overall performance of the defense. But I think those have been out of plays where, they just aren't doing anything interesting. I mean, the Ravens had a, you know, a, probably twenty plays too many by my taste of rush for base package zone, like very obvious what they were doing on defense. Um, and I hope that's not a trend that that is here to stay for this team. Well, it's been remarkably effective whenever they've used it. Is all I have to say about it. I kind of like. I would disagree with that, though. I, I mean, I think if you look at the Cleveland game, it's very much not the case that was effective. Deshaun Watson, once they kind of got into that base stuff, ripped them apart. And then the only reason Cincinnati was terribly ineffective was because Joe Burrow didn't play the second half. Well, I I, I would take issue with that in the in the in the cleveland game it was any elements of deception that mcdonald threw didn't work it was when he rushed five plus 
they were better. When they blitzed, they were they were very good. When they stunted, which is a ton in that game, 20 total stunts in that game, they were very effective. When they used any kind of simulated pressure, they were effective. And when they combined any of those elements, they were super effective. And I, that was one of my points in, in, in going on the radio and the article this, this last week was just how ridiculously effective they were when McDonald did anything special and, and how Watson really had decoded it. And Stefanski with the game plan as well, because they, they basically, when the Ravens were stunting and they, we knew it was coming down after down after down in that second half, they were just getting the ball out quick. Stunts take time to develop. And it's one of the things, if you have the ball out quick, it's, it's an excellent way to attack a stunting defense uh, is to just get that ball out, ball out quickly. Cause they, they basically can't stop that. Uh, and I, I thought anyway, I, it's a it's a you know we'll we'll see how they play this out in the long time because McDonald is very adaptable in terms of what he wants to use against a, a particular Definitely. quarterback. And and a Dobbs who's not a great quarterback but is really good at decoding pressure. Um, they they didn't they didn't do a lot of the um, blitzing particularly from off ball. And what else did they not do? Simulated pressure. They, they had zero simulated pressures against Dobbs because he, he can figure those things out at the line of scrimmage. So they, they were, they, they have different plans for different quarterbacks. And I, I think, you know, I, I, I haven't, I haven't felt like they've fallen into a rut other than they always have two committed linebackers on the field and they always have only two outside linebackers because they just don't have enough healthy bodies right now. Yeah. I think that's, I, you know, I, I, I think I, I would just say that the overall performance of what we're getting on net from the defense, I'd like it to be a little bit better. So it's hard to argue with the results of what we're getting here, but I think that there's, it just feels like there are situations where the Ravens are, I want to see a simulated pressure and we get a standard rush four cover three look. Okay. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a moment. Okay. Not, not just yet, but we're gonna take a moment when we talk about the pass rush to compare this team to both the 2000 and 2006 <laughs> defenses. And maybe we can change your mind with that, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let that simmer down for a little bit while we talk about a couple other things as, as we go on the way to that. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about how the secondary is deployed. They won the snap count 60 to 59. This was a very important game to win the snap count. I think that some of this was missed. Broderick Washington, a late scratch for this game. I don't know the reason. I am concerned about the reason. Because you know they they really need him to take snaps at this point. They're not playing any inside. Sorry, outside linebackers kicked inside, so it ends up being they need about forty three point about almost forty four percent of snaps from each of the five defensive linemen they have on average in order to, to fill up the snaps. Well, you get to forty four percent of you know seventy snaps is too many for a lot of those guys. You know that's thirty one snaps and. You're, you're, you know, your urban is only going to play 20 of those at, at pretty much the most. And, and so that means somebody else has got to play 40. And when you're, when your defensive linemen are getting up to about 40 snaps, that's, that's just too darn many. And I, I I'm, uh, I, I'm really, I would be in favor of them just activating a sixth defensive lineman on game day at, at a discussion. How, how would you feel about that? By the way, if they had to sacrifice, say a corner or an inside linebacker for that. I mean, the challenge is really the special teams unit, right? Yep. Which struggled early in the year and has really tightened up. And so it's clear that there's some priority there in terms of what the Ravens approach has been. I mean, I think they didn't suffer in this game overall in terms of not having Washington in there. But I think you do run the risk of some of these guys getting hurt or, you know, overplaying some of them um, and being a little bit worried about that, you know. But the Ravens have been, you know, uh, Mike McDonald's been a little Brandon Staley-ish, right, if you will, in that he's been committed to light boxes against running situations and just letting teams run in those situations. And I think we saw some mix and runs last night. We definitely saw some Ford runs in the Cleveland game Mm -hmm. where situationally, you might want the Ravens to be a little heavier up front, but they've just decided that that's not, you know, that's not going to be their full committed approach. And quite frankly, that's a big shift historically for this Baltimore Ravens. team. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point you're making right now. I think this is the first time ever, certainly this late in the season, but it might be as, as late as maybe three games into any season that the Ravens actually have a higher average rush yards against than yards given up per pass play. Think about how extraordinary that is, because you typically give up maybe, you know, even even pretty good teams give up 
over six yards per pass play pretty frequently or in the high fives at the least. And almost no, no one has ever given up that in a rushing season. And then you think about Ravens history and you know, the right. point you just made <laughs> the first 21 years of Ravens history, they never gave up even 4.0 yards per carry. They gave, they gave up, they gave up, they gave up 4.0 rounded once, but they never gave up four point as high as 4.0. Exactly. So, uh, and then, you know, even since then, they haven't ever really had a terrible year. They've been up 4.3, I think, mm-hmm. in a year. But but still, I mean, you're always going to give up more than 4.3 yards um, uh, uh, passing. But this year, they're giving up 4.3 yards per rush. And let me go to it. Let me go to it right now. They're giving up, and I'm, I'm ex- going to exclude the Neals from this. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They're actually giving up 4.5 rush yards per carry when you exclude the kneels now this year. And they're only giving up 4.3 yards per pass. That is just freaking That's remarkable. an incredible. Yeah. That's an un- incredible number defensively on the pass protection. But yeah, the, I mean, there have been situations where I wanted Ra- the Ravens to have more guys in the box on like third and four. And I think this is kind of the point I was making earlier. There were situations where I felt like it was third and four and the Ravens were still only six guys in the box. And I, in those situations, you're just used to the Ravens loading up the box, simulated pressures. Like you don't know who's coming from where. Um, I think those will come back. I think, I think we're just, I think part of that is that you're playing divisional teams. You want to do think something a little uncharacteristic, um, but it's, it's out of, it's out of character to watch. Yeah. We certainly had some variation in defensive coordinator, which would tell us that's the way defense is played. And, you know, Rex Ryan and and um, Wink were two of the greatest defensive coordinators the Ravens have ever had. And they both, you know, play a uh, extraordinary high pressure game and they flip things around to try and try and make confuse you at the line of scrimmage on where the coverage is and the simulated pressure is coming from. Or, and but, but they do it by simulating pressure, I should say. But then again, those those teams had fantastic drop to cover players. And I specifically am talking about outside linebackers. In the Dave Ryan, they had Dallas Thomas, who was as good as it got, maybe in the NFL in, the, in, in this century, in terms of, of players who could drop to coverage. And then it, you know the teams right up until this year had Tyus Bowser. So McDonald had even had him his first year and, and made good use of him. But not anymore. And I was really concerned about how that how that might impact the defense. But McDonald has found another way to scheme around it. He's been remarkable at, uh, you know, still using a variety of of deceptive techniques to to uh, keep opponents guessing. All right. But not enough. I hear you. Not enough for your for your taste, (laughs) (laughs) despite the four point two. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) You are one greedy bastard. I'll say that's it. That's it. I want to see shutouts. All right. Uh, Packages. I'll just go briefly. They're only they only use three packages again in this game. And they're back to they, they, they don't have a lot of package variation. We've been into this every almost every episode. So I don't want you to go into it again. But they played the um, uh, the big nickel. They had 7.0 yards per carry allowed on 16 runs, which is a little bit the opposite of what you'd figure because when you play big nickel, you have an extra safety in there. He's playing essentially as a slot corner, so you figured you'd really help your run defense. Just didn't really work out that way in, in this game. Obviously, all it takes is a couple of really big runs, usually scrambles to mess up that number, and they certainly had some in garbage time. Um, they give up 3.6, though, yards per pass on 22 pass plays with the big nickel in there. So still very good in that respect. They go with the standard nickel, 16 yards on five rushes, no problem, 3.2 yards per rush, and then 30 yards on 12 pass plays, only two and a half yards 
per pass play with that standard nickel. So nice maintenance of a, of a fantastic run of uh, nickel play so far this year. And, and again, without in this game, without Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's, you know, I thought Marlon would hurt them more because his physical presence is really important as a tackler. And, and Williams had really had a bad game tackling this, this previous week, but Williams came back. He was, I, he I was, thought, yeah, I thought Williams problem in this, in the Cleveland game was not physical. It was angles. Like he just, he, he, I, and I think some of it is just kind of like getting back into the rhythm, rhythm of the year, but he wasn't, he wasn't even getting his arms around guys because he wasn't close enough to get them. Like he was catching up to guys and having to take them down, but he we they weren't like this. It wasn't like a in the box about to stuff you step like the Ed Reed at the end of Ed Reed's career. Right. It wasn't like that. Um, and I think a little bit, I personally thought a little bit of it was overblown. All right. I, there are, there are people who, who have made comments like that on Twitter. What I'll say is I have time stamped in, in my defensive article, seven different plays where his desire to avoid contact, I think, is very clear. And it's it's not just angular. He's like hurting opponents towards the sideline, towards other players. He's like aggressively not engaging in in, in terms of tackling, as I saw it on those seven plays. But anyway, I I, uh, I understand your point. And, uh, and it was really nice to see him come back and have a couple passes defense in this game, wasn't it? Yeah, he looked real. He looked real sharp this game. And with one game after a long uh, like a long rest and then a bye week, you have to have really high anticipation what he's going to be able to do. And when Humphrey comes back and so, and again, I, you know, my desire to want to see more simulated pressures or more of kind of these, these other looks might also be stemmed off by the fact that you're missing your best corner. Your, your safety who is supposed to be helping out on the backside of some of that stuff is still coming back from injury. You know, so, I, you know, again, still think that there's, I think the volume is going to get turned up on that. I'll, I'll be interested for us to come back to this um, later in the year. And I, I, I I'm gonna, I, I know we're talking defense here, but I just want to say that I feel like Lamar on the boot action this year has been really good <laughs> and okay. been really effective when the Ravens have used it. And these are things that we talk about when we talk about these kind of things. We can go back and take a look. I know that was one that you and I don't agree on. Yeah, that's that is something we, I think I think we don't. I mean, we had boot action happen in this game and Lamar has a new thing we're seeing more of this year where they'll set up for zone block left, make it boot right. And he'll see it's not there immediately. Just stay in the pocket and deliver the ball quickly. So he's not trying to get out the right no matter what and throw to yep. one of those three levels. He's going wherever. And, and I think I think that is a greatly improved part of Lamar this year. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, let's let's move on and talk about the pass rush a little bit, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, so we talked about it in a little bit. I'm going to go through the ATS, BOQ, and pressure numbers because because I always do that every show. But um, a, a really good game of the Ravens getting a good result on two of the three levels. That's usually what I, I you know, I would say you try and win at. Um, but when they, when they gave Burrow or Browning ATS, it was 19% of the time, seven out of 36 dropbacks, which by the way, 19%, not bad at all. You, you know, if, if it's under 25, it's probably pretty good on those plays. The Bengals um, uh, had 64 yards, 9.1 yards per play. That's okay. It's, it's a little bit probably below the average that the quarterback would like, but of course it's Browning and not Burrow the whole time. So, so maybe that's about right. The, the two of them, and it was primarily Burrow before he left, um, delivered 15 BOQ balls in this, in this game, 5.0 yards per play, 42% of the time, the 5.0 yards per play is not particularly good, not, not terrible, but it's just not particularly good. So the Ravens kind of won that one, I would say where they, they got a tie or, uh, or thereabouts on the ATS. But here's where it really got good. They got pressure on 49, uh, sorry, 39% of the place, 14 snaps. Um, That's not even that high a total. The Ravens have been up over 50 this year in one game. They've been over 40 several times. Um, Those included all five of the sacks. And with pressure, um, the Ravens had, uh, sorry, the Ravens allowed negative, let me get this right here, uh, Negative three net yards for the game. So minus 0.2 yards per play. Anytime you get the opponent in the negative, it's fantastic. By the way, Lamar Jackson was <laughs> negative one, negative 1.9 last week. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it was kind of a dog of a game there. Um, 
Yeah, let's not talk about that game. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've moved on, right? <laughs> we've, we've moved on. Okay, in terms of uh, of of rushing numbers and whatnot, um, when they they only rushed three one time for seven yards, but the, they rushed four 31 times. This is fantastic. 118 yards, 3.8 yards per play, and five sacks. Five sacks in 31 four-man rushes. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that if you send six to, to get five sacks in 31 times doing it. And you're doing that with, I think, you know, and this is not a slight, I mean, look, the Ravens pass rush has been fantastic, but I think you're doing that without, with a less talented true rush front four than we've seen from like the 2000 or the 2006 teams that, you know, that, you know, we'll talk about, but they're talented, they're good, but they're not, you know, OA has really come along, but you know, he's not Michael Burnett, right? Like you, you don't have like a Peter Bulware guy screaming off the edge. I mean, Clowney is a savvy veteran, but he's not, you know, he's not Miles Garrett, right? Like, you know, so it's just, you know, and Matabike has been great, but he wasn't Haloti Nada in his prime in terms of what he's able to do in just a straight, straight up non-stunt pass rush on the inside of a defense, right? So their ability to do that with these guys has been impressive. Um, I guess I would say the only thing that I would say that is different about that is that that is not 31 true four man rushes, right? So it's not like a let's line, you know, it's so not all four it, zeros, if right. that's what you mean. They, they have people dropping and, and like Hamilton, Correct. So, so it's, right? It's not like the so the 2000 defense, you knew the, the four guys that were on the defensive line were the four guys that were rushing, and maybe and maybe maybe Peter Bowyer was coming too, right? <laughs> um, that is not what this that's not how this pass rush operates right so they do still maintain some advantage from the scheme and what they're bringing to the team in that regard yeah that there it um it it deserves a show of its own that 2000 defense in terms of talking about how they set up their pass rush they they got terrific pressure and they didn't usually use numbers to do it and then they they played a quarter defense. So they had seven defensive backs on the field for a lot of the high leverage downs, and that really put them in great position to get a bunch of turnovers off it. So they were they really played. They're more of a Marvin Lewis typical turnover team, right. which Marvin Lewis then became in Cincinnati. Um, although he reduced the number of defensive backs, you know, it was he wasn't the defensive coordinator there, but the guys he had working for him actually reduced the number of defensive backs on him. So a little surprising to to see that be the way of things. Um, uh, talk briefly through this game in terms of what else happened. The Ravens stunted eight times on seven plays. They gave up 4.0 yards per play on those. They used simulated pressure five times, two net yards, so 0.4 yards per play. So that was quite effective in, in a very limited sample size, obviously. And when they used multiple elements of individual, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think I mentioned this, five individual blitzes from off ball, 11 total yards, so 2.2 yards per play. These are just great numbers. And uh, when they used a deceptive pass rush that incorporated two or more of those elements, there were only three such instances, but they went for negative two yards. So this is it, it was a little bit similar to what happened two weeks ago against the, the Seahawks when everything McDonald did went right. And then last year against the last week against the Browns, everything McDonald did went wrong. And and they they tried ratchet up pressure in various ways that weren't numbers. Uh, and and all of them d- didn't work. It was just very interesting to see this week to week flow of everything works, everything doesn't work, everything works in in three <laughs> straight games. I thought we'd take a moment though to compare this team. The, the, the 2006 pass rush in particular is legendary in Ravens history. A lot of people think it was the greatest Ravens defense of all time uh, because they had they had a, a, the best pass rush they've ever had. They 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 had 60 sacks in 16 games so obviously we're we're not quite a four pace which is the ravens are at four exactly through 11 games and are are certainly threatening the the legacy of that team it's similar in a sense that that team really did it with a um uh aggregate critical mass let's call it of pass rushers that they had on this team and i think you're kind of alluding to it here is that you know the sum of the parts the, the sum is greater than the parts this year because they have this critical mass of guys who are figuring out how to get pressure and then people guys also who can clean up on that pressure yeah absolutely you know and and they're doing it they're very the ravens have been very smart about their approaches on these they seem really tightly coached about what they're trying to do in some of these situations we've seen 
for example, Patrick Queen be really effective in terms of bodying and screening other guys out of pass blocking situations. Yeah. Like these guys are coming in with direct plans. They understand what they're looking at and they understand what they have to do to make the other guys successful to do that. I think Justin Matabike has been very good this year. He is I like him a lot. I want the Ravens to, from a cap team friendly perspective, find a way to keep him around, but he is not as good as the total aggregate of his numbers. Whereas you go back to 2006 and you take a guy like Trevor Price or Haleli Nada or Terrell Suggs. And I think those guys were as good (laughs) in their primes as the numbers that they were putting up. Um, And I think that's one of the fascinating things about this year's Ravens defense to me. Yeah. Well, Trevor Price certainly was the best interior pass rusher in the game at the time. Matabike, I think the point you make about, uh, in particular, I think it applies to a stunting player, knowing how they can put themselves in the best position and knowing how how they're advantaging the guy who's looping over them. Uh, you know, you need to understand both. You need to know, understand how to have the best leverage on the one guy who's still going to be blocking you. And you also need to know how to crash that that gap quickly so the guy who's rolling over you right off your rear end is also going to have the best chance to get by that blocker he's going to peel for you. So it gives you two chances to get home, obviously, when you stunt like that. And I tell you what, I mean, handing off a stunt is one of those difficult things that offensive linemen have to do. And even listening to Ben Powers talk about it, since he really wants to focus on a single point, and this is a, a really good pass blocking guard, um, he, he wants to f- focus on a single point on his opponent, and it makes it very difficult for him to feel the traffic that is otherwise coming up uh, um, across the uh, to either side of me. He has to do it kind of by feel, but he said that it's so important for him to keep his focus on the top of the right number of the guy opposite him jersey because he can't fake you with that. He can't he can't give you a head fake with that, for example, which is a, a classic old school way of of mm-hmm. um, of beating the offensive lineman opposite you. You can't number fake somebody. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and, and it's interesting because Jadavian Clowney and Kyle Van Noy are so so for as much as I think Matabike is not quite as good as the numbers that he has posted in just just as kind of like a pure non-schematic player i think Clowney and van noy are the opposite of that the ravens have sucked every dollar of value they can out of these two guys that kyle van noy is not this good of a pass rusher right like he is but he is a smart guy who understands what's happening with him and he's figured out how to leverage and use the things that they're seeing from that right jadavian Clowney, a guy that has consistently just like never been able to convert numbers quite the way that he's doing right now with this Ravens team. Again, they're the smart multifaceted players that allow Mike McDonald to use confusion and to maximize their value. Right. And then you throw a guy like OA who has been fantastic this year on top of that. He's more the true, you know, Elmas Duverville, Terrell Suggs, like edge, just schematic doesn't matter let him go get after the pass rusher and he's going to use either his pass rush skills or that's athleticism to win and the three of them have just turned into a really nice edge rush combination that mike mcdonald has just he he really has he's he's unlocked that formula yeah i i I, by the way couldn't agree more with that statement i i would say i would not downplay what any of those three guys has done in either the ability to get initial pressure, because we've seen from Van Noy, we've seen that unbelievable spin move he has. Um, Owe, I don't know if Owe picked up the spin move from him or if he had it before and it just has improved since, since uh, you know, the, the, in the last year or say, maybe Chuck Smith worked with him and that's part of what's going on. And Clowney, he's been a great first pressure guy and, and you know, Mr. Almost in some sense of not getting, not getting home with the first opportunity for a sack or, but, but, Getting the quarterback to move, getting the quarterback to bring down the ball, that's all you need to do for, this, for the rest of these guys to, to give them a chance to, to do that. And Clowney's been, as we saw in this game, a great finisher as well. He's picked up sacks that have been the result of somebody else getting first pressure. So I've liked, I've liked both of these guys are two-way players now, which I just love. I just I love that the Ravens are, are, are constantly high-motorizing these pass, mm. pass plays and, and getting home – uh, hopefully getting, getting, you know, getting pressure as early as possible when they can, but then getting home when they have opportunities that seem extended. And it's also, you know, look, you, you, who knows what's going to happen with Tyus Bowser, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously, look, 
I don't think anybody should do anything that they don't feel comfortable with in their body, no matter what, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're an NFL player, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. If you think you're going to do something that's going to wreck your body for the rest of your life, don't do it, right? That's what I would tell anybody in any situation. But if Tyus Bowser were, that being said, if Tyus Bowser were to wait and find his way back to the field and we were, and he were to be medically up to snuff in terms of what we've seen from him historically, the dynamic of what that could add. And you talked about this a little bit it's earlier huge. of yeah. the, the, his pass rush and a or sorry, pass defense and awareness as a dropper and just the things that can happen as a dynamic of that. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and it doesn't sound like a job was going to come back either, but he also kind of fits, you know, and we haven't seen peak performance from him, but, but again, if he were to come back, you have a guy like OA and a Jabo that are more these like true, they aren't Swiss army knives. They're much more scalpel. Right. And you know what you're going to get from them. <laughs> And you've got Clowney, Van Noy, and Bowser as much more Swiss Army knife. Now we don't know what we're doing. Now you're bringing Kyle Hamilton up here. Now we've got Roquan and Patrick Queen, and all these guys are standing at the line of scrimmage. My gosh, what are you, like? I don't care if you're Josh Dobbs and an astronaut or how smart you are. Eventually, you're not going to be able to diagnose that. Yeah, and 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 you're not the only one who has to diagnose it because these offensive linemen have to figure it out That's too. Right. So so it's a, and, it's the, a, and the pass catchers, right? Like they got it. Like the, who's going to be in a hot route, right? Like who's going to be ready for the? Because the Ravens have been terrible at that, right? They've gotten much better over the last, I'd say, eight weeks of, about this. But Lamar and his receivers have never been in sync in terms of hot routes when pressure has been coming, and that was a part of why kind of that whole Flores high pressure cover zero looks gave the Ravens so many fits. It wasn't that Lamar didn't know it was that the guy he needed to throw to wasn't looking at him in that moment. So he had to eat the sack. Yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly true. And we've seen Lamar be all over the board in terms of his numbers versus pressure these last few weeks against the lions, by the way, 22.4 yards per pass under pressure. That's 10 passes for 224. So it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a couple. Then the next week he was, I think 7.5 and then 4.0, which are both very respectable numbers. 7.5 is excellent. 4.0 is probably slightly above average, maybe three or three and a half would be normal. And they dropped to 1.9 this last week. So he's really been all over the place in terms of being able to deal with pressure. And in some sense there's pressure and then there's pressure like the Browns can deliver it. And and like the Browns yeah. can deliver in particular against a, a beat up Ravens offensive line that is a that is quite different. All right. I I, I did want to I want to go back to this for a second in the 2006 defense and just give you some numbers for comparison purposes, because I think this is interesting. OK, so the 2006 rush, they they did. They only rushed uh, for a much lower percentage of the time. So 311 out of 598 pass plays. 52% exactly, pretty much, they rushed four men. When they rushed four men, they, they got to the quarterback 9.6% of the time. Um, that's very comparable with 2023, where they're getting to the quarterback 9.5% of the time with a four-man rush. Okay, not, not dissimilar at all. Um, if they, are getting they got twice as many turnovers on those plays in 2006. Now, turnovers are down all over the league, but, but that, was, that was impressive. Um, overall, and I won't go to every single number here, the 2006 team got to the quarterback 10.2% of the time, 10.2% of all plays. The 2023 team is at 9.9. So only a very slightly lower overall sack rate. Now, where they differ is that 2006 team was get home or go home a lot of times because Rex Ryan used a lot of numbers. Well, not just a lot of numbers, but also some scheme uh, to get home. We got into the numbers a little bit, but they did use more numbers, but they, they allowed, um, I'll give you the number here in a second. Cause the current Ravens team, the 23 Ravens at 4.3 yards per pass play allowed the 2006 Ravens allowed 5.3 yards per pass play. So a full yard additional, even with all that sack loss numbers fitting into that on pass plays. So uh, it's still that 2016 was a team that could stop the runs. So they were 3.4 and 5.3 in their two mm -hmm. metrics of, of um, run and pass defense. And the current Ravens team is at 4.5 and 4.2, which is, which is a four, yeah, it, that's approximately correct, which is just diametrically opposed. I mean, to, to, to any normal relationship between those two numbers. <laughs> It's it's really interesting to think about and see <clears throat> that as a shift from the Ravens' perspective as yeah. a defense and just as a team. You know, that has just not been their mantra and not the way they've built their team historically. And so it's fascinating to think about that change to me. 
Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're 100% correct on that. I'll, I'll just I'll toss in one more here is that the Ravens in 2000, uh, they, the number that everybody remembers is 2.7 yards per rush, but they actually allowed 2.8 when you take out the kneels and 5.4 on pass play. So even a little bit more in terms of per pass play um, than the 2006 team did. Uh, really, uh, this. This current Ravens team in 2023 is in rarefied air right now, and we're actually getting close to a point where it'd be difficult for them to fall behind either the 06 or 2000 team in terms of yards per play for the year. There's only six games left. Yeah, they play yeah. some good teams, but it, you know they'd, they'd have to average, what, about you know, jump up to maybe six and a half yards per pass allowed to probably lose their spot at the top of the Ravens historical rankings in terms of yards per pass play allowed. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing tremendous stuff and it's kind of crazy to think that they're that, that few number of weeks left in the season. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's, you know, that's, that's, it's kind of the nature of having a great year is that it always just goes way too quickly. And when you're having a bad year or Lamar's hurt, or you're, you know, you're, you're going through this torture of every week, <laughs> looking at the injury report and trying to figure out when somebody's going to be back that you really need, then, then it's horrible. But the Ravens are in the good spot. They, they, I don't think they're in the kind of the catbird seat on the division. Maybe we talk about this for a second here before we sign off from part one here. But how, how are you feeling about the Ravens in terms of their percentage chance to win the division right now? The division? I think, oh, I think the division's done. Uh, what about the Steelers? Yeah, I, I can't take I can't take a team that doesn't have an offense seriously. Okay, they they have literally an unbelievably weak schedule the rest of the way. Mm. So I think at the very least they're probably going to be play- not at the very least. It's, it's not quite the very least, but I think they might be playing for the <laughs> division title in Baltimore in Week 18. I don't think it's a guarantee mm. that they'll be playing for the title. I also don't think it's a guarantee. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I really hope that that's not the case. I, I hope the Ravens have it wrapped up by then. The Ravens, you know, would really benefit from a rest week then, and the Steelers might give it to them in terms of resting some of their own players as well, so that if there was a question of seeding for the Ravens, uh, you know, they could they could each take some time off, say, from the game and, and still potentially come away for the win. It's a huge, you know, the Cincinnati injury to burrow is almost more damaging given though the ravens walk away with the win and the head-to-head tiebreaker over cincinnati it's almost more damaging to baltimore that the cincinnati kansas city game is going to be non-competitive coming up you know because week 18 division or not might be critical for the ravens being the one seed in the afc so you know let's hope for you know rooting for the eagles this weekend but for the ravens to create some space between themselves and kansas city um as the one seed, they get head to head shots at Miami and Jacksonville. So, you know, we're talking about the one seed and, you know, not in a jinx attempt, you know, just assumptions that they're going to win those games. Right. Um, you still need Kansas city to stumble a bit, kind of like they already have to Denver, but stumble more for the, them to have that one, that one seed shot. And that would be tremendous. I mean, I agree with yeah. you, the, the bye week the health, I mean, Humphrey, Stanley, they're all kinds of guys all on the fringes, of the fewer games that they have to play when they come when it comes to the playoffs regardless of whatever you think about rust and the orioles and the ravens in 2019 and blah blah yep. blah 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 right i want to play fewer games if they can <laughs> yeah that's that's exactly where i am too I, I i'm not buying any of the um it's terrible to get the one seed crap i mean it, it certainly hasn't hurt the chiefs in the last few years yeah. that's for sure <laughs> so uh, you know but there is there is another thing here that's all, that's on the line the one seed is incredibly valuable but the two seed is also incredibly valuable because it means you guarantee to play the second game at home so your divisional game is always at home and the only other team that gets that for sure is the one seed yeah you're you know the three doesn't get it if the two wins they have to go to the you know and and just having that is a is a big advantage so it's it's one of the things that that it, the sec, the silver medal the second prize in the AFC is worth a lot all right, my friend, always great talking football with you. Really appreciate this, this lively conversation and uh, highly opinionated, of course. Tell folks where they can talk <laughs> football with you online. Yeah, you guys can find us on Twitter. We've got a podcast, The Situation Room, where we try and do some immediate reactions to games or break down what's coming up in the upcoming week. Um, at Raven Sit Room, my co-host, Gabe Ferguson, and he's at Gabe Ferguson. We'd love to hear from you guys there. 
All right. Outstanding. Other folks who want to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to hear from you. We've got some great time for that coming up. we got a 10-day break between this game and the Chargers. We've got the, uh, you know, a, a bye week after that. Uh, great times to, to get your idea on air. And I'm, I'm looking to uh, meet as many new people as possible. This is the, the, the pipeline for people that I want to have on off-season shows. You know, when I have a, a series of, of 10 or even 20 shows on one particular topic to cover two players, for example, where I find new people who I want to have on and, and say, yeah, they'd be, they'd be somebody good to get on to talk about these two guys. So hit me up. I, I'd love to talk to you. And uh, anything you're passionate about is good. Try and keep it a little granular so we can make it a shorter topic. Jordan, really appreciate you coming on again. Yeah, happy to be here again. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.